God is making all things bright and beautiful, and the climax of that creation, of course, is man. And the Bible, and when I say man, I mean man and woman. Okay, but uh, God first made man, made Adam, and the Bible says that God created Adam from the dust of the ground. So he is um, Adam because he came from the Adama. He came from the the dirt, the dust. You know, and he was pretty fantastic. I mean, that aspect of creation is pretty fantastic. And as I said a moment ago, it's the climax of God's creation. We know that to be true because when Jesus came to the earth, the Bible tells us that he took upon himself the form of a what? Of a man. Pretty impressive. But as impressive as man is, we don't trust in man. Why? Because to trust in man, in essence, is to trust in dust. And we don't want to put all of our trust in man or in dust. Why? Because man is imperfect. And because man can let us down, even on their best of days. But God will never let us down. Come what may, no matter what it is that we find ourselves facing in life, God will never let us down. So let's not trust in dust, but instead let's trust in God. Let's trust in God for three reasons in particular. And we're going to talk about them from Psalm 119, beginning with verse 49. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, as you well know. And it has 22 stanzas, and each one of those stanzas is broken down into one of the Hebrew letters of the alphabet, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, and so on. And it's an acrostic, if you will, with the first word in the Hebrew beginning with that Hebrew, corresponding Hebrew letter. Well, in the seventh section, we find this idea, at least in principle, of learning not to trust and dust. And so let's together just read through these few verses and then come back and make some observations. Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The proud have me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror hath taken a hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. This I had because I kept thy precepts. I don't want us to trust in dust, number one, because of who God is. Because of who God is. I'm not sure who wrote this. There's a lot of uh, speculation. It could have been David. It could have been Daniel. Um, I, I even saw one place where it could have possibly been Solomon. I think it's more likely, this is the opinion according to Neil, I think it's more likely that it was written by Solomon than it was by David. Because it seems like this was written during the, the, uh, the, 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 the follow-up to the... the David authorizing the temple to have been built. 
But if you look in this passage, it seems like it was written by someone who was not only inspired, obviously, but someone who was incredibly wise. Did you pick up on that tone as we were reading together? Such wisdom here. And I think if you go back and you look at all of Psalm 119, you see that to be true. And we'll, we'll hit some highlights here as we go through our study. I want you to look at verse number 50 and underscore a phrase with me. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. In my affliction. In my affliction. When we find ourselves in our, my, your affliction, we need to trust in God for who he is. The reality, folks, is each and every one of us in this room have had, are having, or will have some type of affliction. It could be a physical one. We think about those that we know that are enduring great physical hardship. Their body is not what it was when they were younger, and so now they're struggling physically. Those who, because of illness or injury, suffering physically. We know others that are suffering emotionally, who have been challenged by whether it be environment or genetics or some, in some way it's impacting the way they think and how they feel and how they interact with others' affliction. We know that there are some that have endured or are enduring great financial hardship or affliction. Whatever it is, the Bible teaches us don't trust in dust, in your affliction, but ultimately trust in God. It doesn't mean that man cannot help in those afflictions. The Bible clearly teaches that in Galatians chapter 6, where it talks about brethren um, holding on to your brethren as they are enduring difficulties and, and trials. There are some difficulties and struggles that we can help with. But ultimately, we have to trust in God. Now, let's, let's look at this idea of trusting who he is. The very first word in verse number one says this, Remember. Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Remember. It's pointed to an individual. God. Who is God? We just said that he's the creator of the universe. He created man as the climax of that creation. As we go through time and we just think about who he is, what are some of the great events that come to your, to your mind? Obviously, creation comes to mind. What about in Genesis chapter 6 and 7? When every thought of man's heart was only evil continually, the Bible said that God says that God repented of having created man. What does that mean? It means he changed his mind. It, it, it doesn't mean that, well... I created man and I sinned in creating man and so I've repented. No, that's not. Repent just means change the mind. And so God changed his mind regarding man. And so he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. And then he said, I'm going to save the righteous. Now, it wasn't God's intention, of course, that he only save Noah and his wife and their three sons and their wives, but it was God's intention that a whole lot more be saved. 
How do you know that? Because of what Noah was doing. He was a preacher of righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness for a century. And, and, as, and, and just, I want you to just think about that for a second. He's preaching the gospel, not according to the terms of Jesus Christ, <laughs> it's, but he's still preaching the gospel, meaning good news. He's preaching the gospel about how they can be saved from a devastating physical end. And yet for a hundred years, no one listened. No one obeyed. At least so far as we know, because it was just his wife, their three boys, and their wives on the ark. Now I would say there's, here's the caveat to that. If in the process of that teaching by Noah, an individual becomes righteous and accepting of that message and then dies prior to the impact of the flood, that would have been a caveat, if, if you will. But you get the point. An incredible situation in which Noah's preaching and then you have the flood and then at the conclusion of the flood when the waters recede, it's just Noah and his family left. I think about Genesis chapter 12, and there's Abraham, Abram, as he was called. Abram, I want, you to, I want you to leave home, and I want you to go to, to a land that you've never been to before, and I want you to do my bidding. And the Bible says that he got up and he went. I think about individuals like Joseph. Joseph had this heart that he was not going to sin against God and do this wickedness with some other man's wife. And so, you know what? He said, how, how can I do this and sin against God? And of course, he was blessed. Think about Moses. I think about Joshua and how Joshua began the leadership of spying out or, or, or conquering the land of, of Israel. God. Who was he? And so the writer is remembering God, and he's making his appeal to God. And so I don't want to trust in dust, but I want to trust in God because of who he is. But second of all, I want to trust in God because of what he says. Look, look here in verse number 51. Or verse 50. This is my comfort and my affliction for thy word hath quickened me. The Bible doesn't tell us what that word was. I wonder what it was exactly. God, what exactly was that word? Whatever that word was, it must have been powerful. I wonder what he was talking about. Here's what I think he was talking about. I think he was talking about the overall tenor of his message. I think that's what he was talking about. The totality of his words. And here's why I think that. Because when you go back and you look in Psalm 119, here's what you're going to find. Look at verse 2. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies. Well, Testimonies, words, rules, laws, precepts. Which ones? All of them. Look at verse 6. 
Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. He wasn't ashamed of the totality of God's words. Verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How is he going to make his life right? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Drop down to verse 24. Or verse 14 rather. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies. The totality of his words caused him to rejoice. Verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I won't forget thy word. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight and my counselors. That word delight is used over and over and over again in Psalm 119. In verse 35, make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. I was in Missouri visiting family, and my uh, stepmom had made a dessert for us to enjoy Thursday evening, and it was lasagna. How many of you have had lasagna for dessert? Nobody's had lasagna for dessert? Well, this was a chocolate lasagna, so it's a little bit different. Yeah, oh, it was right. Uh, It was really, really rich. When I cut into that thing and took a bite, I thought, man, this, this reminds me of a dessert that I used to eat years ago, tasting exactly the same to me, called Chocolate Delight. Have you ever heard of that? Of course, you're Christians. We've all had Chocolate Delight, or at least heard of it. So, but here, here, over and over again, we've got that word delight. And I'm sitting here thinking about this Chocolate Delight because it's, mmm, it's really good. And that's the, what the psalmist is feeling about the Word of God. He He delights himself in God's word, the totality of his word. Verse 47, I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. Which I have loved. Go a little further. Skip over our text and and just look at a few more verses here. Their heart is is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. Verse 72, the law of thy mouth is better Unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Verse 77, it's my delight. Verse 92, unless thy law had been my delights. Verse 93, that word has made me alive. It's quickened me. Verse 97, it, the totality of God's words, it's my meditation. Same thing, verse 99. Verse 103, it is sweeter than honey to my mouth. It is the rejoicing of my heart, verse 111. Verse 113, thy law do I love. Verse 119, I love thy testimonies. Verse 127, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above the fine gold. Verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful. They're pure, and I love them, verse 140. Verse 143, they're my delight and their truth. Verse 151, I love them. Verse 163, verse 174, I delight them. On and on and on he went about that word, which must be the totality of God's words. Just curious, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many of us 
think about that word in similar language. Does it mean as much to us? Is it like our chocolate delight? Is it our delight? Do we love it? Do we meditate on it? Is it sweeter than honey to us? Is it better than gold? Yes, than the fine gold to us? Let's pause here for a second. I had a a thought this afternoon. I'm going to grab a different Bible here. I want you all to grab your, your pew Bible for me. This is only going to work if we have the King James. So I figured we'll just all use the same Bible. Look at Psalm 19. All right, let me get my bearings right because you know how it is when you've got your own Bible and you, know, you may not know the verse, but you know where it is on the page. So let me get my bearings here. Yes, verse 7. So verse number 7, we're going to read down through verse number 11. Then we're going to come back and sing these verses. How many of you know the song in Psalm 19? Awesome, I'm going to teach you something then. I learned this when I was a kid, and I've hardly sung it since, so we'll struggle through it together. Verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. It's a beautiful song, if I can teach it correctly, but the words are really what's important. And they sound a lot like what we just read over in Psalm 119, don't they? So here's here's what it's like. We start in verse number... Um, seven, and it goes like this. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's the verse. Then we skip down to verse number um, 10, and that's the little refrain. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. Can we do that? We're going to do it anyway. (laughs) So we'll do verse 7, and then verse 10, verse 8, and verse 10, verse 9, and verse 10, and then we're going to add verse 11 to conclude it. Okay? So here we go. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. Okay, 
So here's my, my thought. If we go back and we do it one more time, we've got it. And then we'll do the next verses like champs. All right, here we go. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover by them is thy servant warned, is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them there is great reward. Thanks, I haven't done that in ages. And I thought, man, that... That goes right along with the psalmist's message here. Go back to Psalm 119. I want to trust in God. I don't want to trust in dust. I want to trust in God because of who He is and because of what He says. And I know here in verse number 50 that He says a word... And that word has got to be the totality of His words, His message... And then it says, in verse number 52, the writer says, I have comforted myself with those words. I remember thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. If you've gone through something, whether it's a physical challenge or maybe a mental challenge, emotional challenge, a financial challenge that we're talking about, whatever the challenge is, how do you feel when you open God's Word and you just start drinking in what it says. I think, I think for some, maybe it's a challenge, and maybe it's a challenge because you haven't been there in a while, but for others, maybe it's incredibly comforting. And if you haven't been here for a while and you've been challenged by life, then open it up and try to, try to taste that sweet honeycomb, that sweet message that God is trying to put into your heart. He said, 
I've comforted myself with it. Verse 54, Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. God's, God's words, His, His rules, His laws, His, His statutes, His word it has been the song in my heart. And I can just picture the, song, the psalmist here not only singing in his heart, but walking about with that song on his lips as well. How many of you have either done this or have heard this when surrounded by Christians? Christians just walking down the hall or they're going about, maybe it's your spouse or maybe it's a child or maybe it's a parent and you hear them in the house and they're humming a hymn. Or they're singing a hymn. Or they're whistling a hymn. Why, why is that the case? Now, I'm not advocating that we ought to come in here and see how, you know, can Chachi get up and lead us by whistling? And should we respond with whistling or humming or any of that? I'm not advocating that. But, but what's the point? We're so full of the of the joy and the, and the peace and the hope and the, just the, the goodness that comes with these hymns that we sing on a regular... We're so full of it that it's sometimes difficult for us to go about our day and being happy and, and not have that sound just coming out of our mouth. Are you with me? It just makes us feel good. And then you see in verse number 56, this I had because I kept thy precepts because I kept thy precepts I want us to not trust in dust but to trust in God because of who he is because of what he says but then third because of who we are because of who you are if you go back to this passage look in look in verse number 52 I remembered Thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. In Psalm 119, verse 11, same passage, the psalmist said that he hid the message in his heart. He hid these words in his heart. When we're raising our kids, what are we trying to do? We're trying to impress upon them the Word of God. We do that in a number of ways. I remember when we had our first child, Peyton, obviously, and um, Emily and I, we shared, this is how I remember it, Emily may remember something entirely different, but uh, we shared getting up in the middle of the night and feeding Peyton. Do I remember that right? I'm sure you did it more than I, but did I not do it on occasion? I, she sh- she's shaking her head. Probably she's just embarrassed to do anything different. But <laughs> I remember at least on occasion going in there and feeding that boy and when I was rocking him and we had the hand-me-down rocking chair from your family I don't remember pop and so I would sit in that rocking chair and I'm holding Peyton and I'm feeding him and I'm quoting scripture to him I mean he's like six months old and younger he didn't understand what I was saying Maybe I thought he was just, somehow was just going to stick in his brain and he was going to, you know, going to 
come back and start reciting that when he was eight months old. I don't know. But I was doing it because it's important. It's important. Maybe you do it by Bible time, regular Bible time, where you come together as a family and you, you sing together, you pray together, and you have Bible study together. Maybe that's how you do it. Maybe it's when you, it's, it's, a, it's a very Deuteronomy kind of thing. It's when they get up, when they go about their day, and when they lie down at night. But the point is, throughout the day, you're taking opportunity to impress upon them principles and messages from God's Word. Maybe that's how you go about doing it. The Bible doesn't tell you and me exactly how to go about that process. There are many ways to do it. But the point is, we are to impress upon our kids the Word of God so that as they get older, they can do just like the psalmist said and remember. And remember. You think about what Joshua said in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, where it says that, as for me and my house, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You know, we try to make that commitment early on as parents to choose to serve the Lord. And we hoped, we hope that our kids will follow that line as they leave home. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. And when they don't, what we're hoping is that some way, somehow, like the psalmist, they'll come back and say, I remember. I remember. And as long as there is, as long as there's life in them, there is that hope that they'll open their heart and they'll remember. And then it says, I have remembered, verse 55, thy name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. Verse 51 said, I have not declined from thy law. Don't trust in dust because of who God is, because of what God says, and because of who you are. And who are you? You're someone that loves the Lord, you're someone that loves his word. You're someone that's doing the very best to, to their ability to, to follow that word. And then in verse number 49, Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou cast me to hope. You're trying to serve the Lord. That's who you are. That's who you're trying to be. You know, sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit in life and when affliction strikes, we're, we're thinking, well, what have I done? What, what have I done? Surely I, I've messed up in some way and therefore God is afflicting me. No. Maybe you're just experiencing some of the challenges of life and it has nothing to do with, with you, with you having done anything. It's not what it's about. But how are you responding to it? Are you leaning into God? That's what he wants you to do. That's what he's there for. Lean into him. Have confidence in his word and find comfort therein. 
And don't forget who you are. You're a child created in the image of God. And He loves you and He died for you. Jesus died for you so that you could have the hope of eternity, so that you could have peace and joy and ultimately eternity. And that's a good thing. Don't you want to experience that? If you're not a Christian, we invite you to come to God tonight. Change your mind about, about sin and say, you know what, I know I'm going to sin in the future, but I don't want it to be my life. I, I'm changing my mind about it. I, I'm going to do my best not to sin. And I understand I'm going to make mistakes along the way, but I'm going to try my best not to, to sin. Confess your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And choose to make Him the Lord of your life. The psalmist said that he remembered the Lord, Jehovah. Will you make Jesus the Lord of your life? Would you be willing to be immersed in water, baptized, have every sin of the past washed away? Put that kind of confidence and trust in God. Would you do that? If you're a Christian, you've, you've wandered away, you've, you've trusted more in dust than God. This would be a good time to, to change that. This would be a good time to say, you know what? I'm going to start trusting in God again. I'm going to stop trusting in myself, if you will, in the sense that I'm going to totally rely on me. I'm going to stop putting all my trust in other people because people are going to let me down. But I'm ultimately going to trust in God and His Word. And then I'm going to see myself differently. I'm going to see myself the way God sees me. Would you do that? Think about it. Together we stand as we sing.